All right, guys, welcome to Real Live Talk. Let me turn my screen on. There we go. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for uh, for just being here, checking out our conversation today. Really excited and blessed to welcome Bill Vanderbush to the podcast. And uh, look, if you're blessed by today's episode, um, I would just encourage you to, uh, wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever it's convenient for you, um, you can uh, subscribe, leave a comment, review. All that stuff is super, super helpful. And uh, all of the past episodes are available on all the platforms and on the Facebook page and all of that good stuff. But um, listen, guys, I'm really, really excited for today's episode. Bill Vanderbush is here. Uh, he's an author and speaker, currently travels the world with his wife, Tracy, uh, teaching and speaking in conferences and gatherings. Honestly, his love for, for Jesus and his heart for people is really just uh, just amazing and overflows in the depths of revelation that pours out as he speaks to uh, just introduce people to the resurrection power of Jesus. Um, he's written lots and lots of books, including Unveiled Horizon uh, and Reckless Grace, which uh, he actually co-authored with a mutual friend of ours, Britt Eaton, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, many other books out there that you can check out on his website, BillVanderbush.com, on Amazon, or uh, wherever else you find your books. And we'll point you to some other places as we uh, get going here. But uh, Bill, thanks so much for joining me, man. It's uh, You're amazing. And I just appreciate you for, for taking the time out. That's an honor. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Always love to have a yeah, good man. conversation. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I, I appreciate it so much. And uh, honestly, like, so this is, this is our first conversation that we've, that we've ever had. And I'm just excited to kind of hang out with you a little bit, get to know you a little bit. Uh, I'd love to know, just kind of starting off here, just a little bit about like, where, where do you come from? Were you like a, a, womb to pew kind of a kid or did you meet jesus later on in life or what was kind of your early your early years in life yeah no i was born a christian i was born into this um no i'm kidding uh yeah but it felt like that because i grew <laughs> I up born in perfect. a missionary manual. <laughs> yeah uh, no need to be born again first time was fine no <laughs> god did uh, it right the first time yeah I, I was i was born into the home of a missionary evangelist and uh he and my mom uh, my mom and dad were just powerful people and just shared the gospel. He was evangelist at heart. So I grew up in, in a time where meetings were every night, whether you were having revival or not, these people had meetings like every night. So it was three week wow. meetings, four week meetings. So yeah, I, I slept under a lot of church pews. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I grew up every night listening to my dad, who was a uh, an amazing lover of the word of God. He he had just such a passion and heart for Jesus. And then when he met the Holy Spirit, everything changed for them. So I got to watch their spiritual progression grow. Uh, they uh, spent a considerable amount of time traveling with uh, a couple. I've mentioned them a lot lately. I hadn't done this for years, but I've started really having just a, a, a re, rediscovered value for the, the people I grew up with. Um, there was a couple mm -hmm. named Charles and Francis Hunter many, many years ago, they called them the happy hunters. And they, they uh, had what I would say is probably one of the most uh, significant healing ministries in, in, in the world in the last hundred years. Wow. But wow. their unique flavor was that if they could do it, anybody could do it. And so they would write entire books and schools and whatnot called how to heal the sick. I mean, that was like their bestseller. Wow. And um, when I remember, you know, they did like a mass healing gathering in the Astrodome with, I mean, tens of thousands of people in there really? and people getting healed, you know, and you think, wow, an event like that would change the world. And of course it was one time thing and it happened. And, and now their daughter, Joan mm -hmm. travels all over the place. And I grew up 
knowing these folks, just they, they were like mom and dad to me. So grandpa and grandma. Wow. So, uh, but that, that was the environment I, I grew up in. But I, I do distinctly remember having an encounter with Jesus at the age of five at Lakewood Church mm. in Houston, Florida, under John Osteen's ministry. And wow. I don't wow. remember, I can't, I can't really give you a whole lot of details about it, except I know that there was a prayer language that just it was, a, you know, I'm five years old. I mean, how much do I know about anything, right? Yeah. But there was a prayer language that just uh, hit me at that moment. And um, speaking in tongues was super common around that time, you know, for me and, and through my whole life, but in that environment, especially. I just remember my parents coming in meeting with the children's pastor and him saying, you know, your son got filled with the Holy Spirit this morning and he spoke in tongues and here's a little commemorative Bible to prove it, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, I mean, that was the thing. It's like I was I was in the club from the get go. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, that did, that didn't mean I, I didn't have a journey to go on. Most certainly didn't still am. So but uh, yeah, this has been something I grew up in. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's so cool. I didn't realize. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's that's amazing. So you grew up around, you know, being acquainted with the power of God, being acquainted with the the presence of of God, the Holy Spirit, all of all of that, right? So you you grew up knowing that the impossible is possible with God. You grew up kind of with with um, with all of that, and uh, that that's really really cool. So like, did you have a? Do you think did you have like a hunger and a passion for the things of God from a young age? Like, did you kind of grow up? with this, I, you know, knowing that you were going to be in ministry, that you were called to, to ministry in terms of, you know, kind of the, 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 the environment that you grew up in, like, was that something that would, that you were aware of that it was something that you were going to be dedicating your life to, or did all of that come later on or how did that work? Uh, you know, I'd love to say I carried a lifelong passion for the things of God, but because it was so familiar to me, I didn't know a life without it. Wow. Wow. And so I found myself to be tremendously inspired growing up by people who met Jesus for the first time, had lived a completely different mm -hmm. life, found the grace of God. And uh, and yet at the same time, for me, it was just as normal as breathing. It's like, you know, mm. this is not, you know, you're, you're typically not passionate about things that are just normal to you, you know. And so uh, not that there wasn't a deep love for it, but I would say that the the passion for the Lord developed over time. Because I go and attend missions trips and, and things like that. I go to other countries. I start seeing the power of God actually work through me to touch somebody else's life. And the passion that I got was for other people, for for watching, see what God could do uh, as as He encounters people for the first time. I like that. So I caught that 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 fire for evangelism that my dad had at a young age. But my passion was more for just teaching, because what I discovered as mm -hmm. I, I I got older was that my peers. Uh, I hung out with a lot of kids that were like me that grew up in this kind of thing. So we were all sort of steeped in the scriptures and the, in the, in the word of God. And, and yet, as I got into youth groups and as I, you know, got older and encountered other people, I, I realized most people, including people in church, didn't have either a knowledge of the word or, or a love for the word. Uh, and, and wow. so that really kind of got me into teaching a little bit. So at the age of 15, I'm tapped to teach, you know, preach my first sermon, it was a disaster. It's horrible. Um, at least I think. It Do you was. remember what you talked about? You know, I I think it was about fifteen minutes, and I it's I'm I draw a blank on it. I remember saying something about a BMW in it. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> you just blocked it out. You just blocked it out. Your, your your brain's trying to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was just really bad. Anyhow, um, that's great though. That's <laughs> I, great. I just. 
I didn't know if preaching was my thing because that was a deal. I'm preaching in front of the church. And as a 15 year old, I didn't feel qualified to teach anybody anything. But in youth mm. group, uh, I, I had peers there and I felt like I could start sharing what I knew. And then we were on mission trips with people and um, we have 35 students from around the United States. Many of them had no understanding or knowledge of scripture. And the, the mm. team leader would go, oh, Bill, your dad's a minister. Why don't you you know, teach a little bit? And when they'd say teach, I'd think, well, I couldn't teach adults, but I can teach people my age. That sounds, that sounds mm. easy enough. And yeah. so I just share what I was reading, share what I learned, share what I knew and, and, and over the course of time, I would say teaching grace developed. And, uh, and that's my passion, really. Passion is for just, just yeah. uh, empowering people with a passion to, to dig into the word of God for themselves rather than just give them all the information they need so they never have to actually open the book. I'm not interested in doing Cliff Notes studies with people. Mm. I want to I like, intrigue them so much that they're going, you know, I got to look and see for myself what this says. And that's, that's what I would hope. Um, you know, to give away. So yeah. it's a passion for anything. It's really, it's really a passion for the scriptures that don't confine Christ, but they unveil and reveal him. And they introduce us to a relationship with the word made flesh. And that's, and, so good. And that's really the thing that changes everything, isn't it? That's so good, man. Yeah, no. And, and what you said before about the familiarity thing about being, being so close to something that it's, it's almost hard to recognize how good and how valuable it is. And yeah. we, we can get that way so easily. I was actually, I mean, I've been talking about this so much lately. I was just teaching on this yesterday, actually. And it's like when we, when we develop that over familiarity um, with God, with the people around us, with the things of God, with the power of God, the word of God, you know, whatever, but it's like, I've grown up with this or it's been close to me for so long and I can uh, unintentionally, but I can, I can, if, if I'm not keeping it in that place of, of honor that it deserves, like if I'm not keeping God in that place of honor that he deserves and recognizing how much mystery there is and how much more there is to discover, like oh, yeah. if, if I'm just getting, if, if I'm just getting comfortable with the things that I've come to know about him. Yeah. I mean, I can really enjoy that for a while because he's so good but if I'm failing to to just have hunger for more, to recognize that yeah. there's so much more, there's so much more. Like I know nothing. Like like what I know about God is so close to nothing. It's crazy. It's so much closer to nothing than something. You know, like it's so it's so small because He's so much better than I than I than I know. He's so much better than I realize. And so, you know. But yeah, just just that. You know, when we. It, it's so crazy that somebody like the God of the universe, who is so incredibly good, like so incredibly good and so incredibly full of love, that who is love himself, that we could get that familiar with him to where we begin to, you know, miss out on yeah. how much more that there is to discover. And like, I'm just getting content with, with the little bit that I know when there's, man, there's so much more that he just wants to open up and reveal. So I love what you said there about that passion for unveiling um, who Jesus is through the word of God. It's really incredible. Yeah, it's funny that you would say that about uh, just the familiarity and getting to know by the power and all that. And his word, I, I was having a conversation with uh, somebody, uh, discipleship's kind of a big deal for me. I and I, I'm not saying I'm good at it or even know really how to how to do it, but it is a passion. That's it. That's a passion for me. It always has been. And it's just you know people who say yes to Jesus and say yes every single day. Because mm -hmm. I say a lot of times you can be a believer in Jesus in a moment by faith, but you can't be a disciple in a moment. No matter no matter how much faith you've got, it takes a lifetime of yeah. just a yes to 
to uh, uh to Jesus to to walk in that place yeah. and be a disciple. It's full on laid down life, completely surrendered. You know, um, loving not your life unto death and and valuing the things of mm-hmm. eternity more than the things of the the seen realm. So I I, I love all that stuff, <clears throat> but I was having a conversation with uh with somebody yesterday two days ago that actually it, it really really caught me. It's a fresh revelation that I hadn't even thought of before. And I was talking to a youth pastor named, uh, 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 Zach, Zach. Yeah. Levi. Sorry. Why do I get Zach? And they sound so much alike. Zach and Levi. Right? <laughs> I have any of the same letters in them or anything. So, That's crazy. Such a, such a sweet guy, military background, yeah. football coach. He's youth pastoring a big youth group at this church. And he said, I I'm having a hard time with challenging young people because he says, when I challenge, it's almost like I've challenged them. You know, we're trying to get them, get them in, but they're under challenge. So when I challenge them, then they run away, you know, they leave mm, yeah. and he goes, and I'm, so I'm just trying to figure out the balance, you know, to challenging them, you know, to strengthen them in discipleship. And so I really didn't have a good answer for him, but I just mm. kind of want to ask him a question. I said, well, tell me about like, when you bring people into the gym, you're a football coach. So you strength train, right? So do you treat everybody the same? And he goes, well, no, some people are just natural born like linebackers. So they walk in, you hand them a bunch of weights. Some kids come in, they're 110 pounds soaking wet. You just put them on a bar. There's no weight at all. So because what you're doing is you're trying to find something that will actually build weight. But he said, but, and this is really kind of caught my attention. He says, it doesn't destroy the joints. And he said, but the problem is he says, most of these guys, when they walk into the gym, they ego lift. Yes. And I stopped and went, wait, wait, time out. What is that? What is ego lift? I've never heard that term before. He goes, it's where you're lifting for other people. You're not lifting for yourself. You take and find the maximum amount you can do. And he said, you add to it for the purpose of impressing everybody around you. Wow. And he says, and people will ego lift because they can get immense growth in a very short amount of time. But the problem is they're only thinking about what they want to build. They're not thinking about what they're breaking and what they're tearing down is actually the joints. So eventually what you have is you have football players that are absolutely bulked up, but, but they move like a robot because they don't realize that in building one thing, they were destroying another because they were actually ego lifting. They weren't lifting for themselves. They were lifting for everybody else around them. As he's talking, bro, I'm sitting there and I'm like feeling the glory of God in this moment. I feel like the Lord says, pay attention, Bill, because disciples don't ego lift. And I wow. went, okay. I said, so, so tell me about how do you actually build somebody? He goes, he goes, you find the minimum amount of weight that they can sustain long periods of time under, over long periods of time. And he says, you get them regular routine. It's not like a short blast. You know, it's it's a regular thing. And he says, but you're wanting to. It says not so much interested in just building muscle. You want to protect the joints. And it was mm-hmm. the Bible calls a body. We're like a body of Christ. Right. And so everything in the body is connected, releasing life from one to the uh, one part to the other by what every joint supplies. And I realized that I've seen this so much in my in my life, you know, with with Christ as people come in and they, in a sense, whether it's trying to gain favor with God or trying to gain favor with everybody around them, they just basically ego lift. You know, it's other words, they're 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 grabbing, you know, they're they're looking for the the best thing that they can do to possibly impress God with their behavior, impress God with their ideas or impress God with their performance and their ego lifting. Right. And yet in the process, even maybe if they're building in a sense of strength, they don't realize that they're destroying joints or let's just say it like it is, they destroy connections. And that's what ego lifting does. Ego lifting destroys connections in order to create a team though. He goes, I can't have guys ego lifting in a sense uh, uh, on this team, because he says, if they can't move, 
then they can't play and they can't, yeah. it doesn't matter how good they look, how big and bulk they are. If they can't move, they can't play. And so there is just, I, it's really just in the last two days. I mean, just here an example of, you know, if you have a passion for teaching, you're always going to be a student, right? So you're always mm -hmm. looking for opportunities for a conversation uh, to open up a doorway where God can start speaking to you. So this happens to me constantly. I feel like I feel like part of being an effective teacher is maintaining a heart posture of a student. Mm. So yeah. there you go. Disciples Man. don't ego lift. <laughs> so good. Everybody should write that down so like in the front of their Bible. Yeah. Disciples <laughs> don't ego lift. Man, no, what a good, oh, what an incredible picture. That, that's such that's such a beautiful thing. Man, how often. How often are we doing that? I, I just wonder, man, how often I'm doing that in, in my life as, as you're talking there, as you're explaining that, I'm just like, man, how much am I doing that? Am I just, you know, I'm not even, even, even on a simple level, like if I'm not drawing strength from the right place, you know, if I'm, if I'm just kind of going off of, you know, what I know or what I think I know or whatever, whatever, you know, but if, if I'm not just, just constantly coming back to God as my, my source for everything, you know, yeah. this is something that um, I I heard somebody say this a long time ago, and I've repeated it several times. Um, but it's like when it comes to really anything, but you know, when it comes to the things of God, and when it comes to you know building building something, it's like if I'm if I'm relying on my own strength to to build that thing, I'm gonna like have to keep relying on my own strength to kind of maintain that thing that I, that right. I'm building up in my own right. strength. And it's just such a futile process because what I can accomplish in my strength is so it's, it's so ridiculous. Like it's so minimal compared to what God can do, wants to do through his people by his grace. Yeah. And when we learn to rest in him and trust him, you know, in that, in that process that he has us in, it's just uh, so incredible. It's so beautiful what God's able to to do, what He's able to build, what He's able to do yeah. through us. And sometimes I think, you know, I don't, I don't like to say in spite of us, but but I guess I guess like you know, even when we don't have it all figured out and we don't have it all together, that He's just able to take just obedience. You know, like what God's able to do with obedience is so amazing. I yeah. that's why I love what you said there when you were defining discipleship as just this process of just continuously saying yes to Jesus because that's what it is i feel like that's what he's looking for he's looking for just people that that love him more than they love the world and that are willing to respond to him right. you know just responding to his goodness over and over again just responding to his goodness just saying yes to him over and over again and what he's able to build and accomplish through that is so incredible but that, yeah that's amazing ego lifting believing believing is a start but there's something about there's something about living this thing out as a lifestyle that requires more than believing. Because so I can believe a message and not have any relationship with the one who gave me the message. I can believe a message and not have any relationship with the messenger. So you know, for people believing, it becomes a start. But but the the lifestyle that we're living is a lifestyle of surrender to His voice, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, that that's that to me is the part yeah. that that really makes a person an authentic long-term disciple is when we live surrendered to the voice of the Lord. You know, uh, people say, well, I believe in Jesus. And I think there's a lot of people you could look at, you know, maybe in, in the earth that, you know, that they, they live uh, unto themselves, but claim a belief in Jesus 
And for them, the proof of their belief in Jesus, they go to church once a week and sit and, you know, listen to a sermon. They become a part of maybe a church or whatever. And so they believe, they claim to believe in Jesus, but never live in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. They live unto themselves, mm-hmm. have a belief in a concept or an idea or philosophy that, uh, you know, as if that belief alone gets them into heaven when they, when they die. That's really not, you know, to me, that's not discipleship. Yeah. Jesus told us to make yeah. disciples, not converts or believers. Yeah, believing is a starting point, but discipleship is a person who is willing to basically say, "Lord, you, your voice is the direction in my life, and uh, you and I are going to work together and co-labor together." But I'm always going to be in surrender to your voice. Never a point in time where I'm dragging you along into what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I just want to find out what you're doing and go along with it, and then let everything that I'm doing that I have an idea about be something that you would say amen to or bless. So, uh, you know, I'm reading in James. I just did a, a video series on uh, the book of James with a friend of mine the other day and where James says, you know, you know, you say you, you believe, well, so do the demons, you know, yeah. and you, you pull it into today's language. You can always hear James going, you believe great, but big deal. So what big deal you believe? So do the demons. And he said, and they tremble. In other words, they even have a fear of God. So really, if you, if you grab what he's saying, it's like demons know Jesus is the son of God. They know he's the Lord. They know he's the savior of the earth. Yeah. The one thing demons don't do with that belief is they don't surrender to live in, in surrendered obedience to his voice. So mm-hmm. demons know exactly what to believe. They just they just choose to walk the opposite way of what they know to be the truth. Yeah. And uh, I was reading that and, and thinking to myself, wow, God, never let me just be a person who claims to have a belief but doesn't walk in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. Because if that's my life as a Christian, then really, when it comes down to it, in practice, I have more common in common with demons than I do with Jesus. So living in surrendered obedience, it sound, I'm a grace guy, right? So it sounds weird to say that. But the, the truth is, is that grace empowers us to do more than just believe. It gives us the capacity to actually go, you know, there's no discipline. Distance and separation between you and God, you can you can live connected to the Word made flesh, who's made His home in you, and the triunity of wow. the Trinity has now embraced you in this crossfire of adoration, where you and I find ourselves in a position of oneness and union with the God of the universe, where there's no distance and no separations. Impossible mm-hmm. to figure out where one begins and the other ends. It doesn't make you God. There's a distinction, but there's no division and there's no distance. Yeah. So now what excuse do I have if the voice of the word has made his home in me, taken up and built a throne on the altar of my heart? Now yeah. the throne room is in me. The Holy of Holies is right here. I'm a living, breathing, walking ark of the new covenant. Yeah. But the word made flesh doesn't break my will. He just simply invites me to surrender my will to his voice consistently. Come on. And there never becomes a point where I have said yes so completely that I don't have the capacity to say no. I can still entertain lies from a devil. I can still believe them if I want to. I could still ditch and derail my entire life. And if I could live my whole life in such perfection of living, you know, in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord to the point where everybody thinks that, oh, if I follow Bill, then I'm, I've got it down because he's got a lifestyle of this. Mm-hmm. But in the last quarter of my life, I like, you know, let's say some generals of the faith decide I'm just going to believe a lie of the enemy and go my own way and just tank everything. I can lead an entire company of people astray because for what they're doing is they're looking at my perfection as opposed to wow. continuing to do what they're supposed to be doing, which is living in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord wow. for themselves. That's me Come following on. my 
cliff and just rolling down here. So that's, you know, you hear, you hear what I'm saying. It's like, we never, we get inspired by people and we're supposed to be inspired by people. Sure. And we look at people and, and man, they give us all kinds of incredible inspiration and in what to do and what not to do. But there never is a time in our life where a person takes the place of the voice of the Lord. God can use the person to be a voice in our life, but doesn't mean that they are always going to be the voice in our life. And it doesn't always mean that their voice is going to reflect what God is saying to us at any given moment. The person that gave you great advice yesterday can give you terrible advice tomorrow. And so in every prophetic word and every sermon and every experience with God, we always reference back to that place of being surrendered to the voice of the Lord having a discerning of spirits. I mean, I have people in my life I, I greatly admire. Uh, my goodness, people I could, you know, just name people that uh, almost bring tears to my eyes with the love that I have for the for the revelation that comes from their heart. But I never let, and I, let's, let's not use the term let my guard down, but that's essentially what I'm saying. I never let myself, let's say it like this. I never let myself get so lazy that I stop surrendering what they're saying to the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. Mm, right? Come on. Yeah, so that's good. there's times where I'll hear, I've never said anything like this, so maybe this is for somebody who is listening and watching mm -hmm. today. There's, there's times where I'll hear a preacher say something, and I know the spirit behind it is the Lord, but mm -hmm. God doesn't force us to choose any words. He, he gives us the freedom to put into language what his spirit is saying. And I'll hear the words coming from that vessel, and I will sense and discern two opposing things here, that the spirit is of God, but the words they've chosen carry maybe a bitter or jaded or cynical edge to him. But it won't make me completely shut down the vessel. What I do is discern that the spirit behind what they're saying is true. And so grabbing a hold of that spirit making new language for it so I can receive from the person, even if they're speaking words that are actually more in their flesh in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's not dishonoring of the vessel and it's not a slam to discern somebody's word, whether they're speaking by the spirit or not. Yeah. It is actually a service to them. So I would invite anybody, like if, if you're ever hearing me preach or listen to me speak, or even now just say, God, uh, let your spirit, cause me to discern what's behind what's being said. And thanks for the language they've chosen. Maybe it's given them clarity or not, but if it hasn't, I want to grab a hold of that spirit and I want to grab a hold of the life that's on that word. And I want to take it to heart and I want to put it in the language that makes sense to me. See what I'm saying? So we're just messengers, you know, uh, we're just messengers for the Lord to speak through and to move through. But we so often idolize, lift up and exalt the messenger. And it may be because they have a lifestyle of, of surrender to the Lord. It may be because they're just really good at communicating. Mm -hmm. It may be because, I don't know, for any number of reasons, maybe they have hair that you like. I don't know. You know, maybe they're just, maybe they play guitar. I don't know. It, you know, we, we idolize yeah. people for all, all kinds of reasons. And then that idolatry turns into perfection. And pretty soon when right. they fall, then we get this disillusion. Right. And we got tons of people who are disillusioned, deconstructing their faith in a perfect savior because of an imperfect vessel. But the grace of God to use imperfect people is a testimony to the fact that he can use anybody. And, and that ought to give us all hope. So, you know, when God anoints you, when he graces you with his glory, when he or lets his presence rest upon you and lets his spirit move through you, you know, don't think of that as approval for every part of your life. You know, I'm just mm. 
again, I feel like I'm talking to somebody that's watching yeah. this. Come on. There's still parts of our life that God will come in and surgically move through yeah. to cut apart, cut away, move out of the way. And you can think to yourself, well, how come if this was a problem for you, Lord, how come you used me so powerfully or moved through me so powerfully? Again, it's not a testimony to my personal perfection or the fact that I've arrived anywhere. It's purely a testimony to the grace that flows through a person who, with issues or not, lives in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. And wow. so I don't know where you go from there, but there's just a lot. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, it's funny because like I'm listening to you talk and there, you know, you you say something and, I, and and my mind is like, oh man, that's so good. And then it, it kind of goes to, you know avert like a scripture or some or some something you know what i mean but then you keep talking and then it's like oh man that's so good too and then it's like what do i grab a hold of right here but you know uh i i would i would like to my get you keep talking bill you just keep talking, <laughs> just keep talking. <laughs> i really wanted yeah, to camp yeah. out on that one point but you kept talking and you were in a hundred yeah. miles now i can't remember what it was <laughs> no it's so good it's so good um you know, I, I was um, actually I was reading uh, in in your book, and there's this line where you talk about how um, we're we're so good at, or so many so many in in the church, so many of God's people. It, there, there's like this tendency or this temptation, even to kind of gravitate toward a lifestyle that. Um, you didn't say it quite like this. I'm going to bring out what you said in a second, but but to gravitate toward a lifestyle that we're that we have control over. So, you, what you actually said in the book was that um, many in the church are used to um, embracing a lifestyle of spiritual sadomasochism. <laughs> this is what you said, oh, wow. and calling it and calling it humility. So it's this thing <laughs> where it's like we kind of get this gross uh, pleasure or you know, fulfillment or, you know, whatever you want to call it out of the work that we do. And yeah. then when we don't do it right, beating ourselves up for it and then feeling, you know, feeling that kind of guilt that comes with it or, you know, whatever it is, but beating ourselves up when we inev inevitably fall short. But it's this thing where I think it gives us this sense of um, you know, when we when we haven't fully embraced, or I don't know if any of us have fully embraced, but when we haven't um, really learned to embrace the grace of God, the mm -hmm. unconditional love and acceptance of our Heavenly Father, then I think we can get caught up in this mindset or this lifestyle of, you know, what's the next best thing almost like, let me let me embrace this thing that I feel like I can have control over. And I was thinking about when you were talking about uh, just now about kind of idolizing uh, people, you know, vessels that are being used by God to do incredible things. But when we take our focus off of Jesus and we start putting our focus on a vessel, then somebody who's there to, you know, to help us, to to lead us, to be a friend with, you know, whatever the role is that they have in our life, it's like we can very easily begin to idolize that person. And I was just thinking about that whole thing, like the the tendency of the children of Israel to go back to idolatry. Why? I think that at least a big part of it was probably because they couldn't see God and they wanted to create something that was kind of visible, tangible, something that they knew, like, I can't see God. You know, whoever Moses or whoever the leader is at the time, he's telling us all about how good God is and, and about his encounters with God or her encounters with God or whatever. But we don't see him. 
and we have this problem that we need answered right now. Like I have problems in my life that I need addressed. So what can I set up in my life? Somebody or something that I can tangibly look at and kind of anchor my faith or my hope or my expectation or whatever to that. And it almost feels like it satisfies this longing of my heart in a, in a gross way, you know, not in a, not in a complete way by any means, but it kind of satisfies this longing that's inside all of us to put our faith in the one that created us, the one that called us, the one that loves yeah. us. But we have these kind of skewed ideas or concepts about the nature of God. And so I think that that kind of, you know, mindset um, about who God is, wrong understanding, wrong thinking about who God is and what he actually thinks what he actually thinks about us, how much he actually loves us, how much he actually accepts us, how good his grace really is, how great and extensive and just immeasurable his mercy really is. All of these things about God, but when we, you know, fall short in our understanding, whether it's because of just whatever, because of maybe it's wrong teaching or just wrong understanding or because we haven't been taught or because maybe we just kind of i think that there's this pride thing <laughs> that we all have to an extent that almost wants to you know take the reins on certain things and to say well let me let me kind of put god in a box that i can understand or that i know how to control and it's like it's like wait hold on like what what are we what are you doing like what why would you do that what and 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 i just feel like god is just constantly wanting to just blow up those boxes that we you know that we try to put him in yeah. um, and to just show us how good he really is because his way is so much better than than our way um yeah and, I, uh, know, yeah. yeah maybe an expanded perspective on uh, just to expand the perspective on idolatry i think um you know we were we were created to worship because we're created in the image and likeness of a god who's rejoicing over us with singing from before the foundation of the earth so worship is just our 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 voice, the sound of our spirit mixing with the sound of His spirit in this beautiful, mm. you know, symphonic union. Uh, you know, we're not singing to a God who's just listening to us, you know, and judging our worship. We're, we're singing to a singing God. We're singing back to Him. You know what He's actually placed in us by His spirit. So there's something really amazing about the union of worship, the union that can be realized within worship. Because we're created to worship, though, um, we we will worship something. And if we don't have a heart to live in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord, then what we will end up doing is we'll give our worship to something that requires nothing of us. Mm. And that's what happens a lot. It's why yeah. people um, find wow. themselves, they, they make idols for themselves. But here's where it gets twisted. And that is that when we worship, and it's not in a place of just surrender to union with God, and we consider a distance and separation to be the, the reality, then we will actually worship and impress one another. And so when people were worshiping impressing idols, it starts, it starts out with no, with no sense of like, this thing doesn't require anything of me. It's just a stone and it's, it's a piece of wood, whatever. Yeah. But the problem is, is that when you are worshiping an idol, you end up having to impress the people around you. And so somebody says, yeah, well, I will, I, I worship, uh, I worship this idol. I worship this God. And, uh, I give, I give it my, my possessions, give it my mm. stuff. Somebody else goes, Oh yeah. Well, you know, uh, I give it, I give it my firstborn. Not, not like, I mean, they like the Annie up, you know, I see your worship and I, I raise you. And next thing you know, 
people are sacrificing their children to false gods has nothing to do with the demand that the God is making. The God doesn't even exist, right? That's a man-made system. This is the danger of man-made religion. Man-made religion will always try to impress each other, people with worship, Mm -hmm. because if a man-made God can't do anything, it's not going to answer any any prayers. And so, uh, uh, you know, then people end up starting to like, you know, ante up on the worship. Then you come to, to, to Jesus and it's a totally different system. Now, uh, you're not living to impress anybody else. This is a, this is a union of love here. And so there's no idolatry in our, in our worship of Jesus because we realize that we come to him and we lay everything. We just lay our life down. Mm. Uh, there, there's something about, uh, about the, that I, I think, we turn, especially coming up on a political season, it's probably important to say, we have, we have made so many of our, our political leaders into idols. And we made yes. so many of our pastors and prophets into idols. Yes. And you say, How, what do you mean? I, I, isn't honor a value in the kingdom? Yes, but there's a real thin line between honor and idolatry. Hmm. Wow. And uh, we're supposed to honor one another, no doubt. But the minute that a person moves from a place of being correctable to being, they can't be confronted. If they can't be confronted and they can't be corrected anymore, then we've moved them from honor to idolatry. In other words, we give them a pass in their behavior. Most of the time we give people a pass because we think God's anointed them and God has anointed them. The problem is we look at that anointing. We go, oh, I'm going to take a, make that person an idol. They can't be touched. They can't be corrected because you don't touch the anointed. Oh, well, yeah, anybody should be able to be corrected. You know, Paul said, test the spirits, right? See if they're of God. When yeah. somebody comes together and they have a gathering together, he said, let two or three prophesy and then let, then let others judge. Actually, he says, let others judge. In other words, mm-hmm. part of your act of, of service and worship mm-hmm. to God is to utter prophetic words. And then that should give freedom to everybody in the room to judge what's just been, you know, said. We're yeah. actually supposed to do that. You know, so the minute that a prophet comes out and says, nobody can judge my word, that's a false prophet right there. At least, you know, they've gone off the rails. I can get back on the rails real quick. But as long as they're in a position of thinking everything they say, just because they feel a little bit of the wind of the spirit on it is unjudgeable and not correctable or tweakable. That's that that's a that they made themselves an idol in their own mind. And God help us if we agree with that. So. You know, God's teaching us a little bit about how to, and again, it all comes back to being a disciple that lives in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord every moment. And wow. uh, that's just, I, that's what I just encourage people to live as a lifestyle. It, Israel did this. Israel did this with, uh, you know, God had a system of government that he approved of and loved. It was called judges. And God and a prophet and a judge could lead an entire nation, but a judge was just anybody from among the people who didn't sit on a throne. They sat on a rock under a tree and under an old covenant system of judges as a government, a woman could lead the nation. I mean, think about that. But then Israel goes, now we don't want that anymore. We want a king. And and a king was essentially a, a human idol, somebody who we could put on a throne, lift up high and exalt to give them all the power over our lives not in a place where between the prophet and God and whatnot, judgment was made in righteousness to move forward an entire nation in yeah. prosperity and wholeness yeah. and whatnot. No, and now yeah. the king was given power to brand an entire culture. 
And, uh, and now we have a king to peasant relationship. And what we did is we created a human idol. We called him a king. In America, we call him presidents. Other places call him other things. We take and we find a person to actually represent us. They become our idol. And they end up wow. branding an entire culture. And so, uh, you know, the pro wow. really one of the big problems uh, with, with that entire system is God ultimately is the only one that's supposed to be sitting on the throne. After Babylon, there's no more kings anymore. <laughs> Everything gets ripped back down, and, and God's like, we're not going back to this system. We say, well, how do they get ruled? They got ruled by other nations that came in. Mm -hmm. And in place of the governmental system of kings, the religious system of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious leaders yeah. was set up, and they became the rulers of the people. So between the whole Babylonian system, uh, all from Babylon up to Jesus, you have the, the religious system that's taking power. Prior to that, you had the idolatrous kingdom system that was taking power. Hmm. And so the political and religious spirit come in. They actually get together in between the Romans and the religious leaders of the Jews. And from that 1,300 years of warped interaction with God through a religious and political system that is increasing in power, now we have this perspective. And this is what Jesus was, I think, tearing apart. We come to God with this perspective of God as king sitting on a throne and I'm just a servant peasant because that's the way wow. you relate to idols, right? Yes. That's, the, yes. that's the way you relate to somebody who's in, in power and authority over your life. I'm not saying Jesus is the king. Jesus absolutely is king. Mm -hmm. But when Jesus came to model a relationship with God as father, that was the first thing. God is father. Now we're his children. So there's family going on here. So yes. now he is destroying the king to peasant dynamic and he is elevating the father-son dynamic. And now he's trying to teach us how to have a relationship with a God, not an idol of our own making, but a God of the universe who, who loved us before we ever had a chance to even get around mm -hmm. to trying and pressing and pointing. Wow. It's like we're still 2,000 years after Christ took us out of an old covenant system and brought us into a new covenant reality. We are still... Uh, letting go of this mindset of a groveling peasant to the throne of a, of a king wow. who, who can't be touched to, to realize that we've been uh, received by the spirit of adoption, born into this family by blood and by choice, called to seat, be, be seated with him, sit on the throne with him in heavenly places. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have invited us into this union, this family, this other-centered, self-giving relationship of love purely because he's good, 1 Corinthians 1.30 comes to mind, by his doing you are in Christ. And so there's this, uh, there's this need for us to come to that realization of going, people go, oh, I want to be in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. I want to live like that. And so, okay, here I am. I'm a peasant and I'm, I'm groveling before a king. Oh, king, please tell me what to do. No, no, no. This is you and dad hanging out. And he's always father. You're always son. The dynamic of power never flips where you're telling him what to do. But the dynamic of, of a king-to-peasant relationship is not rooted in love. The dynamic of a king-to-a-peasant relationship is rooted purely in authority. And you are wow. purely subversive to that king. But you're not going to get close, and you are not going to have relationship with him. Right? He just tells you what to do, and you just do it. So when I talk about living in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord, I'm talking about having such a depth of relationship with your heavenly father. that You can trust him as a son, knowing that he's absolutely good. 
and that spending time with that is actually one of the greatest things in the whole world. Oh, by the way, your dad happens to also be a king, the king of the universe. And now his identity, his very identity becomes my inheritance. First John 4, 17, as he is, so am I in this world. So are we. Jesus says, the father sent me, I send you. See me, you've seen the father. I am the father of one, the glory father that you've given me. John 17 says, glory you've given me, I give to them that they may be one, that their union would look just like us. So now my relationship with God as father is part of this family. Now I turn that relationship to you, right? So now I go, okay, God, how do I relate to my brother? Submit yourselves one to another, right? In reverence of God. Why? Because we're brothers. We're united in brotherhood. And, and there's something about this family dynamic that causes us to, to make each other shine. And, uh, and I think that's one of the yeah. things that will attract the world is when the world sees the body of Christ looking like a family instead of some bipolar bride yes. that's so divided we don't even know where we're going, right? No offense to anybody who's bipolar out there. Jesus, feel that too. It's going to be the title of my next book, The Bipolar Bride. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that is such good news. Oh, that's such good news. It's so good. I, I think everything you just said, I think it points so much to the 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 desire of God to, to be in, in partnership with, with his sons and his daughters, you know, and if we have this concept of, as you said, king to peasant kind of relationship, it, it cuts that out completely. Cause it's like, well, I could never do anything that would, that God could use. It's just God kind of ruling me and, and kind of imposing his will on me. And then I'm going to try my best to do what he says. And that's kind of it. And I think that that's, um, that that's kind of that mindset that's that's where that mindset i think comes from a lot of that is like let's take the responsibility um that god in his grace wants to put on his sons and his daughters or, or give to or invite us into i think is probably a better way to say that and so you have this you know so you have this group of people that says well give us a king like every other nation right yeah. and god's like well that wasn't my desire for you because i wanted this to be a governmental system that works differently and i want you to be able to relate to me and connect to me. And I, I want this to be done through a, an atmosphere of, of relationship that's based in love. And there's going to be partnership involved there. It's like the, the difference from, you know, moving from the wilderness into the promised land. It's like, we're in this place where this is glorious in its own right, because God's providing for us all the stuff that we need every single day. Our clothes are not wearing out. We always have food. We always have water. Even if he has to bring it out of a rock, he's going to provide but but the goal of God was to bring them across the Jordan into the promised land where they were going to have to work, but it was going to be in this divine sort of partnership atmosphere and agreement where, uh, yeah, there's there's more on your plate now and you're going to actually have to have some you're going to face some battles. You're going to face some giants. You're going to face some things. But I'm I'm I've been instilling in you and I'm going to show you what you're capable of as you rest and you trust in my authority in your life. Absolutely. And, I, and I, I love so much, man, that you, uh, that you brought that out. Cause it's so, um, it's so good. And, uh, and I just think that this invitation that God has given us this thing that he's inviting us into to not just be peasants underneath the, the rulership of a King, um, which would be good enough because he's so good, but it's his invitation is so good that he's inviting us into so much more than that. And I think that's really, you know, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a king to peasant relationship, then you will, you can be, and this is weird to say, but you can be easily ma manipulated by language that, that, that meshes, meshes together violence and romance. 
And so wow. peasants wow. would impress a king by, you know, ego lifting, beating themselves up, you know, um, letting the king punish them. And then they say, you know, please, may I have another? And a lot of people approach God that way. <laughs> you know, God, crush me, you know, <laughs> wow. kill me, yeah. crush me, burn me, slice, dice, you know, you know, chop me up. And I was like, what? What are we doing here? And and when people <laughs> preach that way, you can see it really grips people's hearts. You know, out yeah. of a love for God, I just want to get a sacrifice and all. And I get that. It's really important. Um, it's a, it's an important dynamic, but the but the perspective of it changes when there's a father and son relationship versus a king to peasant relationship. You know, yeah. Isaac was willing to submit so to Abraham, you know, tying him up and laying him on an altar. Abraham's an old guy. Isaac's a young guy. I mean, Isaac could have run away, you know. <laughs> But yeah. Isaac was submitting to the father. Why? Because Abraham knew Abraham was submitted to 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 God as father. He he had a, he had a depth of a friendship with God. This wasn't a peasant king dynamic here. Mm-hmm. There was a family. There was a, there was a there was a sense of, of friendship and connection, camaraderie here that trickled all the way down to Isaac to the point where you know demands could be made that were uh, unreasonable and completely seemed to go against the character of God. But ultimately, his goodness wins out. And, uh, wow. and there's something revealed in Abraham and Isaac's in, in, uh, heart as they as they commune with the Lord, you know. And I think today God is still looking for people who have that depth of relationship with Him, where He can speak anything to them, and not only can He trust us with the secrets of His heart, but He can also uh, tell us things, speak us to us things that He would never say to anybody else at any other point in time in history. But for whatever reason, He says to one person in this moment. Wow. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't exactly 100% know how that works, except I always just kind of come back to this reference point of going, I, my own father, my own father's life, he passed away about a decade ago. And he was a, an incredible man of God and one of the greatest people I've ever known. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't always understand everything that he told me, but I always knew the heart behind it was for my good. And if I lived in surrendered obedience to the voice of my earthly father, then I knew that good would come from it. And there was wisdom behind it. When I didn't obey it, uh, it, it pain resulted. And I realized so, so many things he told me that didn't make sense at the time were actually to keep me from pain long term. He could see farther than the future I could. He had a greater wisdom than I did. And in that, I, I learned the dynamic of, of trusting my heavenly father. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's if anything comes out of this podcast today, it's, you know, be a disciple by just simply going, Jesus, I, I want to be living and surrender to your voice. Teach me to hear your voice. And he'll take you to his word. He'll always take you to his word. His voice and his word are so deeply connected. And uh, and then the filling of the Holy Spirit. You study the word without the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have all kinds of weird problems. So those two things together, the, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the washing of the water of the word, prepare you to be a wine skin that can actually contain a new wine that becomes old wine so you can have an outpouring. So there's something that's uh there's something there, but it always begins with surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. Wow. That's so good. Man, what a beautiful way to wrap this up as well. I, I would love to keep talking. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got a flight to catch, but I appreciate you so much, Bill. Uh, Bill Vanderbush, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, check out BillVanderbush.com. Check out those books that are available uh, on Amazon and on the website. And is there anywhere else that you would um, point people to, Bill, that, where they yeah, can find? Wait. I know you've got some really 
uh, exciting resources on your website right now for going deeper into study and even um, using yeah. it for the sake of discipleship and growing in in the knowledge of the resurrection power of Jesus and all of that kind of stuff. So would you share a little bit about what you have available there? There's a couple of things that I'd, I'd mention. First off, the book you're talking about, we've talked about a lot today is Unveiled Horizon, Reflections on the Nature of God. You can pick that up on Amazon. And ordering it from Amazon instead of my website would be really, really great because what, what happens is it's it's popped up back and forth on the bestseller list. And especially in the new, re, uh, new releases for New Age Meditation. Don't ask me how it got in the New Age chart. But the higher that book gets awesome. up on that chart, the more people who are of that stream of, of thought are getting reintroduced to Jesus again. And it's just, it's just a, it's a different way of thinking. It's a different kind of a language maybe than people are used to reading a Christian book, but it's awakening people in the new age to, to the things of God. That's so unveiled horizon. They can get that on Amazon. If you go to my website, billvanderbush.com, there are two Bible studies that are on there. One is a verse by verse study through the book of Hebrews. The other is a verse by verse study through the book of Ephesians. And I did that with a dear friend, pastor, a longtime pastor named Don Wallabaugh. And if you don't know Don, you should. He is a spiritual father of generals in the yeah. faith. Uh, people in his church that have been raised up like guys like Dan Moeller and Todd White come out of Don's church. And, and Don is just a he's virtually unknown kind of a guy, but what a massive well of wisdom. And so yeah. sitting down with him and going verse by verse through these books was incredible. Here's the coolest part. And that is those studies are a name your own price study, minimum $1. And so we don't want money to be a hindrance to, to getting that out there at all, because we really want people wow. to have a value for and a love for the scriptures and to study for themselves. So we don't, wow. we don't give all the revelation there is to give out of those, those uh, books, but we give enough to hopefully whet your appetite to really get into it and study, study for yourself. So you go to billvanderbush.com and you can just do a name your own price for the Hebrews and Ephesians study. And we're about to come out with a study on the book of James. So, and there's other resources out there, but those would be the ones I'd first, uh, first direct people toward. Uh, that's incredible. Thank you so much uh, for sharing. Yeah, everybody check those resources out. That's, that's incredible. Name your own price tool. You got to do that like today. Um, and uh, I did want to say the book Unveiled Horizon. It's really cool. It's written in, in such an easy to read format. It's these uh, reflections. I think there's 80 of them. Uh, I th think that sounds right. There's these reflections and it's like, you know, a page and a half, two pages each one. So it's kind of like a, just a very, very easy to digest. But it's these really powerful truths that are you know, packaged in this way that I think makes it very, very clear and very practical and easy to understand. So I would recommend um, that book to everybody. If you're new to the faith, if you're new in your walk with Jesus, if you've been following Jesus for 50 years, um, I would uh, definitely encourage you to check out Unveiled Horizon and leave a review after you get it on Amazon. Please, that'd be great. It's helpful. Unless you don't like the book. <clears throat> if, then, don't keep <laughs> then, then keep your review to yourself. <laughs> Only five-star reviews, people. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Don't be mean. Uh, no, but it's so good. Well, Bill, appreciate you so much. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, I look forward to uh, connecting with you again in the future. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody, again so much for joining me for this episode. Man, how good was that? I had so much fun chatting with Bill Vanderbush. Such a good conversation and uh, just so blessed by his ministry. Please do yourself a favor and check out some of those resources available to you at billvanderbush.com. Check out those books on Amazon. And please, again, don't forget, if you're blessed by the content, by the material, don't forget on whichever platform you can, whether it's Amazon Books or whatever, to leave a review 
and uh, you know help others find the, their way to those resources as well. Um, that would uh, mean a lot to me, and of course, I'm sure that would mean a lot to Bill as well. Appreciate you guys. If this episode blessed you, please uh, consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a comment or a review. All of that is really, really helpful. Helps us to continue to grow this channel and get these episodes out in front of more and more people. So thank you guys so much for all of that. Be blessed, and I hope to see you back for a future episode.